morning, church. Good to see you guys today. Man, it is kind of a fall, cozy day, isn't it? Wasn't it like 80 degrees yesterday? Colorado, man, make up your mind. Like, just make up your mind. That's right. What he said. Uh, Well, thank you guys for being here with us this morning. I am noticing uh, just a lot of new, new faces in the house. And forgive me if I end up asking you what your name is more than once or more than twice or more than five times, right? So the key to me knowing your name is you coming every week. (laughs) I'm just telling you, it's really difficult if I meet you five months ago and you roll in five months later and I'm like, I mean, I'm good. But no one's that good, y'all. <laughs> no, I just want to say for all of you who you are sensing and discerning where lo- the Lord is plugging you in and planting you to belong to, I want you to know that we're with you in those prayers and we're with you in that process. Um, as I'm just greeting people that are coming in week after week, um, I haven't had to find a new church home for years My wife and I and our family, we've been in this same church now for 18 years. We moved here 18 years ago to serve another man, and we're still in the same church that we came to as youth pastors 18 years ago, became senior pastors of this same church 12 years ago. But I could imagine just that process of, God, I want to belong to a people. I want to give. I want my gifts to to grow and to be developed. I want to know people. I want to be known on an intimate level, I want to belong to a community of believers. Like, I just have this sense in my spirit that so many of you that are here today, you've been to numerous churches around this city, and that's the cry of your heart. You want to encounter God. You want to know him in a deep way. You want to be faithful. You want your gifts to be grown and to be activated. And I just want you to know we are praying into that for your life. And it's a process. It's a big, long process. Sometimes it happens quickly, and you just know immediately, this is where God is calling me. And where God calls you, I can tell you right now, wherever you are in this city, it's not going to be a perfect people. Um, You're going to experience growing pains. Um, Whether it's this church or another church, you may go, man, I love this, and this, this people can do no wrong. And then after some of that wears off, and you get into the trenches of life on life, And you'll just see like, oh, part of God's design for Christian maturity and for Christian growth is to belong to a people over the course of a long time. Uh, Again, we've been in this church for 18 years, and we know a lot of people that we've rubbed shoulders with, and we've also, we've just, we've disagreed with. And it's been a beautiful process that's produced growth in me and in my wife, and I believe it's also produced growth in the people in this house. So... Those of you who are today with us for the first time, or you're still in that uh, evaluatory, evaluation process, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. And I want to echo what Lauren said in terms of um, inviting you to our luncheon here in a couple of weeks. It's, It's one step towards belonging to a company of people. As we're in worship... Uh, something unique hit me. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't expecting it. I don't know what prompted it uh, because it's not really where the vein of worship was going. But I was stirred in my spirit, and I was, I was reminded that this church has existed for a lot longer than a lot of us have been a part of it. Again, we've been here for 18 years. Our predecessor here was the pastor of this church probably for about 10 years prior to us uh, even coming here. And there was a season in our history where there was a deep and strong prophetic flow where the lifeblood of this house really was on prophetic intercession and worship. And there were a lot of things that were announced and spoken and prophesied and prayed into that I believed were from the Lord. Like so many things that people have contended for, for this company of people. And guys, listen, if I could just roll out, you know, the chronicles of this house and show you some of the things that we've gone through, like we should not still be here today. We just shouldn't be here. 
Now, I could say it's a miracle that this company of people, New Life Midtown, I could say it's a miracle, but I could also say I just think that God has something special, and he wants this group of people and the unique kingdom DNA that he's building into this people, he wants it in the city. And I, I, I personally believe that he wants it in this particular location of the city. He wants us situated in the middle of the city. And he wants us to continue to pray for and to contend for those things that he's promised to this people. Now, God knew years ago, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Friends, listen, like I'm talking about people who have fasted and prayed and done all night vigils and have done seasons of months of prayer. There was a a season in 2008 where we shut everything down. And when I say everything, guys, we shut it all down. And every day for 24 hours a day for nine or for nine, 90 days, for three solid months, all we did was minister to the Lord in worship and in prayer. We didn't have a regular church service on Sunday mornings. We shut down the youth ministry. We brought the kids in. Auxiliary ministry shut down, men's, women's. And we just sat before the Lord in worship, in consecration, in devotion, and we ministered to the heart of God. Listen, that takes a lot of courage for a pastor to do that. And there were things that God promised this people. And some of you, the sense that I'm, I'm just bringing all this up to say, for those of you who are joining this house or you sense the Lord joining you to this house, even if you've just only been here for six months to even six years, you need to know that you're stepping into decades of prayer. And Jesus says this in John 4. He's talking to the disciples as he's ministering to this woman at the well, we're going to go to Luke 4 here in a second, but in John 4, Jesus tells the disciples, he goes, listen, there's coming a moment when you're going to actually reap things that you didn't even sow. You're going to, you're going to pull things in the spirit. You're like, like guys, imagine this. Grand, grandparents who've just been rocking back and forth in the secret place of prayer, crying out for a move of God in our city. Crying out for you in particular, you're just going to be cruising along in faithfulness and you're going to step into the fulfillment of prayers that people have prayed for decades before. Some of you you, people have been praying before you were even born and you're going to step into that. Step into that. And so I want to encourage you, just stay. Like get somewhere. And get rooted into a people because it's not just this house. The truth of the matter is that same reality is happening in every local congregation with all of their flaws and with all of our dysfunctions. God has made promises to every congregation in this city. And if you'll root yourself into the seedbed of these people, God is going to cause promises that he made to forefathers and foremothers years ago. And you're going to be the recipient of that. Amen. All right, this morning, and this is, we haven't even gotten into like our sermon series yet, but in Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four, I was just, I was just praying this morning, I was praying for you and this, this verse came out of, it just dropped from the heaven into my spirit, (laughs) amen? And beginning here in Luke chapter four, verse 16, I just want to speak this over you. It says that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And as he, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Somebody say, on me. On because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, resting on me, given to me, sent to me, because... He has anointed me, and he's anointed me for a purpose. The anointing is always for a divine purpose. Like, you don't roll around and just say, I'm anointed. You're anointed for what? You're anointed to do something. 
You're anointed to paint. You're anointed to preach. You're anointed to teach. You're anointed to raise children. You're anointed to be pure. You're anointed to preach the gospel. You're anointed to be in the medical community. You're anointed for a purpose. And we need the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is the one who anoints us. Right? So for all of you, and I just find it really, really interesting what God is doing in Midtown. Because there are so many of us in this house that are from so many different denominational backgrounds. And God is just, he's doing a new and eclectic mosaic. And this is the interesting thing. I have prayed for this for years. Like since I was in college. While I was a youth pastor, I was like, God, I'm asking you that you would give us a spirit of unity and that you would help us build a church where multiple denominations converge together for the glory of God. And he's doing it in this hour. But I'm just going to say it's not easy because some of us are more faithful and more loyal and we're more affectionate and we're more passionate about our denominational backgrounds than we are about Jesus, than we are about unity, than we are about the kingdom of God. Then we are about Christ crucified and Christ glorified. I'm just going to say it like it is, right? We're like way more passionate about our secondary and tertiary doctrines than we are about the face of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me for a work. Every single one of you have a work. And this was the prophetic word that I felt as I was just meditating on Luke 4 this morning for hours, literally hours. Here here it is right here. Number one... Some of you are in this room, and you need to hear this today. You need to hear that the anointing of God is going to bring you good news in this season. Look at this again, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Some of you are in this room today, and you feel, you literally feel the tangible poverty of your soul. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's a gift, church. Like, when you know how poor you are in your spirit. Like, I love this song that Seth led us in this morning. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me to abide. And I found myself, God, saying, Lord, I'm so desperate, Christy, exhorting us. The, the, the blessing of understanding how poor we are in our spirit. Listen, the moment you forget or the moment you don't realize how poor you are in your spirit, you are in trouble. You are in trouble because poverty of spirit is what invites the outpouring of God into your life. Never get to the place where you've arrived, church. Never get to the place where you think that you've got the corner market on anything in God, no matter how long you've been in God. Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach or proclaim good news to the poor. Some of you need to hear good news. And I'm praying and I'm prophesying today that in this season, good news is coming to you. Good news is coming to you. Good news. A fuller and a deeper revelation of the gospel is coming to you. An understanding of the magnificent power of God is coming to you. Revelation of the gospel is coming to you again. Right? That's going to renew your heart and it's going to renew your passion and it's going to renew your first love in Jesus. And it's going to be easy. There's going to be an ease with your love for Jesus. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, listen to this language, proclaim, announce freedom for the prisoners. Today, I'm here to announce freedom for prisoners that are in this room. People who have been bound up, people who have been oppressed, people who have been addicted, locked up. God, I can't get over this. I've cried. I've prayed. I'm just, I'm so married to this substance, to this chemical, to, to these visual images. And I am praying that God launch us into a season where freedom for the prisoner, freedom for the prisoner. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just declare freedom for the prisoner in the name of Jesus. Lord, I am praying today that an anointing of deliverance rest on this house in Jesus' name. God, that, that, that we just walk in and, and chains fall off of our lives. Cigarettes and nicotine and alcohol and, and perverse and illicit images that are running through the hallways of our mind. I am asking today in the name of Jesus that there would be a deliverance anointing that touches this house. 
And we declare freedom for the captives in Jesus' name. Shout amen. Amen. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I just prophesy revelation. Revelation, revelation, revelation that your eyes be opened. May your eyes be opened. Ephesians 1, 18. That the eyes of your understanding would be opened. That the eyes of your, eyes of your spirit, man, would be opened. Now, depending on what your background is, many of you may not realize that your spirit has eyes. And your spirit has ears. Just like your physical being has eyes that give you the ability to see, your spiritual person has eyes. And you see this. Whoever has eyes to see, let them see. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Psalm 119 verse 18. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful truths in your law. The eyes of your spirit are what give you revelation. And it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that give us access to all of the treasures and all of the resources that are available in heaven and in Jesus for us to live victorious, powerful Christian lives. And I'm just going to be stupid enough to believe that that's why you're here. I'm just going to choose to believe that. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep believing it until it becomes a reality in your life. Because I'm praying for a house of awakening. And I'm praying for a fire that is so strong that is in this house that you either jump into the fire and all of the vipers run out or you have to leave. And I don't want you to leave. But I want a fire in this house that burns. I want a fire that's stronger than religion and a fire that's stronger than doctrine and a fire that's stronger than the traditions of man. I want a fire that comes from the very eyes of God, that comes by revelation of his spirit. That's what I'm praying for. And it just so happens that I have a little bit of authority in this house. All right? So you can either get on board and pray with me or you can go find something cute. But this isn't going to be a cute house any longer. Not that it ever was, not that it ever was, but whatever cuteness rested on this house, it's gone. It's going to be raw and ugly, just ugly, stank Christianity, stank, stank face, ugly face Christianity. And if you ain't ever touched ugly Christianity, y'all need to touch ugly Christianity. All right, this, 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 this right here. Oh, God. Oh! That's ugly, Christian. It's so beautiful. Ugly is the new beautiful. Ugly is the new beautiful. Let's go. I got to stop doing these little prophetic homilies because it takes me away from my time for the, for the word of the Lord. Okay, here we go. Recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the first group of people that I sensed this morning was those that fit this category, that you're in that place where you're saying, yes, God, I'm blind. I need my eyes to be opened. I'm oppressed. I need the freedom and the deliverance of God. I need, I'm in a famine of the word and I need revelation of the good news. I need the favor of the Lord announced over my life. Now, the second group of people is this. There's a group of people that you need to, you need to recognize and you need to realize that you are the ones that God wants to put his anointing upon to be the vessels and the messengers and the carriers of this. God wants to put his spirit on you. Now, if we're in Christ, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, like God has put his spirit inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. The spirit of God lives in you if you are a born again believer in Jesus. If you've confessed your sins and you've said, I believe Jesus, you are the son of God. I believe you are Lord. Come be Lord of my life. The spirit of God is in you, but God wants to put his spirit on you. He wants to rest his spirit, man, upon your life. And I've been praying this. I've been praying this all morning long. God, make me a resting place for your spirit. Make me a landing pad. Make me a landing pad. Those of you guys who have traveled, you know, like, man, the plane comes in and it's got a, it needs a place. It needs a strip. It needs an unobstructed, clear pathway for the cargo plane to land on. And some of us in this room, our pathways, our our landing strip is obstructed. 
God, God's flying over you and he wants to land on you. And there's so much that's just obstructing the landing pad of your heart or your mind or your imagination or your time. And God's saying, well, I got, I got to just circle around. I got, to, I, got to, I got to circle around. And if they clear off that landing strip, I will come and I will land on them and I will rest on them. And the Spirit of God will anoint you. The Spirit of God wants to anoint you, friends. This isn't a preacher-pastor thing. You are new creation, new covenant people. You are a kingdom of priests. And there are people that are in your sphere of influence that need Luke 4, 18 to be awakened and activated in your lives. They need you to be a mouthpiece to proclaim good news to the poor. They need you to come and announce the year of salvation and the year of God's favor. They need you to lay hands on them. But the Spirit of God is looking to rest on your life. Amen? Let me pray over you. We'll jump into Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10, and we'll be done with this series. I had somebody last week go, Pastor, are we still in Nehemiah? Yes, we are, dear ones. For one more Sunday. Ah, would you just open up your hands to the Lord? Holy Spirit, we so desperately need you and love you and want you in this house. Third person of the Trinity. God of gods, Holy Spirit, you are. You're the one who's been sent to us. You're the one who's been given to us. The only way that we can even communicate with Jesus or the Father is with you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you've been given to us to reveal Jesus to us, and I'm asking that that would happen today. You've been sent to us to guide us into all truth, and I'm asking that that would happen today. You are the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, and I'm asking that that would happen today, that the spirit of the Father's love and sonship and daughterhood and the beloved and belonging of God would crash in to the depths of our spirit, man, in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking that you would open our eyes in the book of Nehemiah once again, and Father, that we would marry our hearts to you afresh and new, and anew, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, I'm gonna move quickly because I... I actually want us to get to a place, the most important assignment that I have today in the book of Nehemiah is to get us to a place of response, is to get our hearts to a place where we can go back into worship leading up to the table and we can respond to the Lord in the next 27 minutes. Like that's my assignment. So Nehemiah chapter eight, for those of you who are new, uh, jump on YouTube, (laughs) type in New Life Midtown. And you'll have nine weeks of the book of Nehemiah from chapter one up to chapter eight last week. I encourage you to do it. It's been phenomenal. But the very brief overview is this. God in his goodness, in his mercy, and in his covenant-keeping nature, right? He shows up to a man and he imparts his burden and he imparts his covenant promise deep into the bones of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, because of his secret history with God, is positioned to receive the cargo plane of God's burden. Are you catching that? Like Nehemiah had lived a life where he could hear and he could receive and he could respond to the burden of the Lord when God shows up to Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears a word. The walls of Jerusalem are burned down. The gates have been burned down with fire. And because of Nehemiah's secret history with God, the spirit of the Lord breathes on that news and it impregnates him with a burden, which is God's burden. Nehemiah is activated by this. Long story short, Nehemiah 1 through Nehemiah 5, actually chapter 6, Nehemiah goes to work, travels thousands of miles back to his homeland that he's never been to. And he mobilizes a people to rebuild the walls of protection and safety around the city. But the bigger assignment on Nehemiah's life was not just to build physical walls. Right? We, we, could, we could dip into, like, the greater issue in our nation is not just to build bigger walls to keep bad guys out. Right? That's what Nehemiah does. He, first of all, let's build a wall, let's keep us safe. But the real issue here is... Our people, the infrastructure of our lives, the infrastructure of our interior life as a people has become perverse and has become corrupt. So listen, it doesn't matter how many walls we build. If we're not a people of truth or righteousness, 
if we're not a people who honor and reveal the law, revere the law of God, which is where justice and compassion and mercy are born, you can build all the walls. You can build them all to the, to, to the highest heavens. But if it's, it's what's inside of those walls that God is after. I want a people who are just and true and good and kind and humble and merciful and God-fearing and God-loving. So here's what happens. Nehemiah chapter 8 the first thing that they do, they recognize, man, we're lost. We've been in timeout for 70 years. We've been sitting in the corner for 70 years, the longest timeout in history. And God's like, okay, you can come out of your room now. It's time to, you know, move forward. And they say, we've got to put the word front and center again as a community, a covenant community that has been called, that has been anointed and appointed and ordained and selected by God to be his special treasure in the earth. So they say, God, the only way this is going to happen is if your word is priority, is if your word becomes the preeminent standard of our lives. And so in Nehemiah chapter 8, they do that seven days in a row for six to seven hours a day. The entire community, even children, stand underneath the reading of the word. We're not going to go into, but, it, but here's the result of that. Nehemiah chapter 9, I encourage you to read it. The result of them sitting under that word until the word got deep into their bones was repentance. They realized, my God, like in our words, in our thoughts, in our deeds, in the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone, we are so far away from the standard of the law revealed in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And you know what it does? It convicts them. And conviction is one of the greatest gifts that you and I could ever receive from God. Because what it says, it's, it's God saying to us, I want you to be right with me and close to me, but as long as you're living in this way, there's no way that you can be right with me or close to me. So listen, do not despise the Lord's conviction. Like lean in. The conviction of the Lord will never bring you shame. It will never bring you guilt. And it will never drive you away from God. It's always an invitation to come close. Always. And this is what you find in Nehemiah chapter 9. It's, it's beautiful. Read it a thousand times. Okay, 10. But just read it over and over and over again. And what you'll find, you should see a running theme. We rebelled. We disobeyed. We ran away from you. We killed your prophets. We hated your word. We despised your word. But yet, you, in your patience and your kindness and compassion, over and over and over and over again, patience, kindness, tender mercies, God chases us down when we are just jackals, just knuckleheads, right? That's, that's Nehemiah chapter 9. It's revelation. They catch it. They get it. Oh, God. We have offended you, but you have been merciful with us, which leads us to Nehemiah chapter 10. All right, it's a good setup, right? Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 10, look at verse 28. So I'm going to skip a bunch of names that you don't want me trying to read in front of you anyways. But here's what happens. The entire community, they sit under the word, they repent, and then they go, we've got to make, we've got to make some promises. We have to recommit our lives as a people to God. We've got to rededicate our lives. Anybody ever heard that? You know, in old school, it was either you're giving your life to God or you are rededicating your life. And I'm not trying to get in any theological scrappings with that. I'm just going to point us here to the fact that these people are having a rededication service with the Lord, which tells me that there's something powerful and good and beautiful about making commitments and promises to God. Nehemiah chapter 10, look at verse 28. The rest of the people, priests and Levites and gatekeepers and musicians and temple servants and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters and all who are able to understand. So here's what's happening. The people are getting together. They're in one accord. They're in a spirit of unity. And they say, we've offended God. We've sinned against you. And we are going to, sit, we're going to come out. We're going to break agreements. 
We're going to break relational covenants and allegiances with all of these other pagan neighboring countries that we have just allowed into the purity of who we are as a people. We're going to break those agreements. That's what they're saying right here. We've, we've separated ourselves. So listen, what's happening here is a moment of consecration in the community of Israel. And, communi- and, and consecration involves breaking allegiances with things that have been sent into your life to pollute your life, to distract you, and to pull the affection of your heart away from God. You cannot have consecration to God and still be in yoked together in allegiance with unclean spirits in this world. It's impossible. It's impossible. You're either going to love God or you're going to love the world. You can't love both. Right? And over and over again, we see this in the scriptures. Look at verse 29. So all these now, we join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and we bind ourselves together with a curse and an oath. That's taken right out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. We bind ourselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and the decrees of the Lord our God. Very simply, here's what they're saying. When you hear curse, I want you to hear consequences. So what they're saying is, God, we are committing ourselves to the law of God, and we are open to the consequences if we fail or if we refuse or if we disobey your good word, we welcome the consequences of that as a scourging form of discipline and correction and accountability. Don't get legalistic and law-based on me right now. All right? So when we, when we disobey God, there are consequences. All right? You're gonna, you, like, here's one of the beautiful things that God has crashed into this house. God has revealed to us a spirit of sonship and adoption that is one of the most beautiful things in my life. And as a result, I believe it's a treasure in this house. But the spirit of grace and goodness and adoption of God does not mean that there will not be consequences when we flat out disobey God. Right? Because God disciplines those he loves. All right, let's keep reading in verse 30. So now they are making explicit commitments to God. They sat under the word, they received the word, they responded to the word, they repented of their sin, and now they're making commitments. Here it begins. Verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or to take their daughters for our sons. Now, that is so peculiar, isn't it? Like of all the things, right out the gates, the very first thing that you're going to promise in this renewed covenant before God is that you're not going to allow your daughters to intermarry with other neighboring countries, nor are you going to take their daughters for your sons. And here's the issue here. It's allegiance and affection. It's allegiance and affection. And under this new the Old Testament covenant, God was building something into the people of Israel, which was, I am trying to establish an identity as a covenant people in you that is bigger than you. I'm writing a story, and I'm building something into your very DNA that is going to lead us to Jesus being revealed for the salvation of the entire world. Now, I've heard people abuse this very scripture towards me in the past, right? And try to use, you know, whether ethnic or racial. That's not what God's doing here. God is saying that for a certain dispensation in history... This is about covenant faithfulness to God. This is not about being, you know, ethnic or racially exclusive. Because, again, we can go into that Acts chapter 10 and New Covenant and there is neither. all We can go into all that. But here's what we need to understand. That in this day, what God was doing in Israel, every neighboring community, they were pagan, idol-worshiping, devil-worshiping people. And when we allow people, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Now, I know a lot of us, we think that we're stronger than the influences and we're stronger than that, but wisdom displayed through the Scriptures will just tell us over and over and over again, what you give your affection to, you allow to influence your heart and it will lead to an allegiance. 
Like, catch that. That was one of those things. I should have wrote, I just like, I didn't even know, to, I couldn't even write that out a week ago for the vigils team. But what you give the affections of your heart over to, you are giving a power and an influence over your heart and over your mind that will lead to an allegiance. It will lead to a covenant. It will lead to a binding agreement, known or unknown, where it becomes a stronghold. Are you hearing me today? When you read the rest of this book, you'll find that the children of Israel actually do this. They actually do this. Nehemiah goes away for a season and he comes back. And when he comes back, they did everything that they said they would not do. And they let their kids marry neighboring countries. And the religious, idolatrous commitments of these pagan countries pulled the heart of their children away again. So much so that when Nehemiah came back, he says, there are some of your kids, they don't even know the language of Judah anymore. They don't know the language of our fathers. They don't know the stories of Moses. They don't understand what God did when he delivered us from Pharaoh. They don't even know these things. Where does that begin? It begins with a wink, and it begins with a flirt, and it begins with up. It begins with the, the affection of my heart turning. The enemy will use whatever. He'll use things that are beautiful. He'll use things that are attractive and sensual and seductive and innocent and flirtatious. It was just one text. It was just one text. And then you're hooked. You have to guard the affections of your heart. Because here's, what, here's the wisdom of what God is saying. God understands that what we give our affections to has the power to destroy generational covenant in our lives for generations to come. It's not just a glance. It's not just a text. It's not just a, we'll check this website out one time. It's not just that. It's not just, oh, I'll just see her for lunch. We're talking about covenant allegiance that affects generations to come. All right, now let's go over to Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 34. This is really where I want to get. I, I, I want to land here. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 34. So in verse 28 through 30, they're making this promise. We're not going to give our kids away. Right after that, they said, we're going to honor the Sabbath. So they're consecrating their time. But then this is, this is this really, really fascinating scripture that I've just been mesmerized with for the past two weeks. Read it with me. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, we have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Boy, if I could just pull you into my secret closet with God. I have said that phrase in the past two weeks a hundred times. Lord, you are calling us, you are calling every single one of us to commit to bring to the house of the Lord a contribution of wood to burn on the altar. A contribution of wood to burn on the altar. A contribution of wood to burn on the altar. And this is part of the constitutional re-covenanting that the people of Israel are making. They're writing this down. We're not going to give our kids away. We're going to honor the Sabbath. We're going to start tithing again. Read it, okay? We're going to bring wood. To which I go, God, what is that about? What is that about? And then I just stumbled on Leviticus chapter 6. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 6. Oh, got convicted that I don't read Leviticus enough. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 6, look with me first at verse 8, and then we're going to jump to verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 9, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. The fire 
on the altar must be kept burning. I want you to imagine sitting in Aaron's shoes, sitting in Moses' shoes, and the literal audible voice of God is standing before you. And I want you to sense the fear of the Lord and the weight of God when he speaks to Moses and he says, the fire on the altar must never go out, but it must be kept burning. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire, verse 13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Church, listen to me today. Here's the word of the Lord for you. Is that every time you make a move towards God, no matter how small or how big it may seem, you're, you're gathering wood. You're gathering wood. Every time you open up the word and you say, God, I need to hear from you, you're gathering wood. Every time you lift up your eyes and you lift up your voice to heaven, friends, you're gathering wood. Every time you gather your family around you and you grab hands, and even when they roll their eyes, and even when they buck and they resist you, you're gathering wood in your family. Every time you say, God, I need a word, and you speak that word over your life, over your marriage, over your singleness, over your future, friends, you're gathering wood. Wood. Every time you, you turn off the television and you throw the phone away and you put something on Spotify and you sit underneath that worship set, you can come on up. Friends, you are gathering wood to put on the altar. So the fire on the altar of incense never goes out. And the priests must go out every morning and gather wood and put it in the fire Because without fire, there can be no sacrifice. Without sacrifice, there can be no incense. Without incense, there can be no glory. There can be no presence. And God wants to pour his presence out. In your life and in your business and in your school and on your sports team and on your purity, he wants to pour his presence out. But there can't be presence without an offering, and there can't be an offering without fire, and there can't be fire without wood. Gather wood and throw it. Throw that wood on the, on the fire. And here's, what, here's the promise of the Lord. If you will gather wood, I will bring the fire. If you will bring the wood, I will bring the fire. If you will bring the wood, I will bring... You don't have to bring the fire. You can't bring the fire. Bring the wood, bring the wood, bring the wood, bring the wood of your time, bring the wood of your devotion, bring the wood of your heart. And listen, once you bring that wood and God sets fire to it, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to climb up on that altar and say, God, make me a burning and a living sacrifice so that the incense of your glory can come off of my life so you can burn out every other lover in my life and that clean incense comes from my life everywhere that I go. Two very quick stories as we're going to go back into worship, and we might go a little over 1130, but listen to me. When I go camping with my kids, here's what I do, all right? I love camping with my kids. I get out the car, and they immediately, they're like, they're like, Dad, let's start a fire. I'm like, guys, we have no wood. Some of you guys, you want a powerful, robust, clean, strong, victorious life in God. You have no wood. You have no wood. Right? And if you know anything about burning a fire, some, some of our lives are like paper. Some, some of your lives in God, if your life in God is this Sunday morning service alone, you know what it is? It's like cardboard. You ever tried lighting a campfire with, with tissue paper or cardboard? It's gone. So here's what I tell the kids. I'm like, listen, guys, I need you to go out there. I need you to grab twigs. I need you to grab medium sticks. And I need you to grab thick logs that will burn through the night. And I need you to do it in that order. I need you to go up and I need you to be piles of small sticks, little twigs, medium sticks, but I need, I need thick logs that burn through the night. And I said, boys, if you want to sit out here and you want to, you know, sit under the stars and roast marshmallows and sit by the warmth of this fire till you know, 12 or 2 in the morning and their eyes get big, they're like, yeah. I'm like, I need small sticks. I need, I need medium sticks. 
and I need thick logs that burn through the night. And like for the next hour, I'm going to pull out the tent. I'm going to get everything set up. I need you guys to go and do that. And sure enough, man, they, they all go separate ways. You know, they're, they're like working together, bigging these, these logs. And they got piles, small twigs. We got medium sticks. And we've got logs that will burn through the night. We set up our TP. We arrange that. And I'm telling you guys, listen. If you will bring the wood, daddy will bring the fire. Bring the wood. Stay a little longer. Shut off those distractions. Make efforts. Like this is going to be the mantra of our house for the next several months, you guys. Like, and if you have ears to hear, you'll probably realize, haven't you just basically preached the same message this entire series? Like, get closer to God? Yes. Yes. Repent of sin. Throw away the distractions. Turn your eyes away from the screens. Turn your eyes to God. Give him wood. Let him put oil on that wood and let it burn. And here's what I believe. If you'll do that, God is going to ignite something inside of you that's going to burn for the rest of your lives. Will you stand with me to your feet this morning? We don't have as much time as I wanted to respond, but I want us to take about five minutes. Seth's going to lead us in some love songs with Jesus. But here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for every single one of us today to renew our vows, to recommit, just like the children of Israel. And you guys don't have to hold that yet. Guys, don't hold those plates yet. Just leave them there. You're going to be holding that for five minutes. I don't want you doing that. I want you responding up here. The children of Israel, they repented of their sin and they said, God, we're making you promises. We're going to follow you. We're going to commit to you. We're going to give our lives to you. And we're going to bring wood so that the fire on the altar of God will never go out. And very clearly today, however God is knocking on the door of your heart to respond, he's asking you, give me more. Give me more. Give me more of your devotion. Give me more of your affection. Give me more of your time. Give me more. And if you will make commitments to the Lord, here's what I can tell you. The fire of God will touch your life and it will change you forever. Guys, let's worship the Lord for a few minutes and I'll lead us to the table. King of endless worth, and no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, yes, all I have is yours. Every single Search much deeper within 
song and sing is not what you have required. Sing it again. I'll give you more. I'll give you more than a song for a song and sing is not what you have required. You search much deeper. You search much deeper within through the way you're looking into my heart. Oh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for that thing I've made it. When it's all about Yes, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Jesus, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is our reasonable act of worship. Father, today we we make renewed commitments to you. God, we commit our affections back to you, our time. God, we commit to sever our allegiance with the distractions of this world and to give you our hearts again. God, we commit to give you our devotion, to give you first love passion. God, we commit to bring wood in our private time, but also, God, I'm just struck by the fact that these families committed to bring the wood that they had gathered in private, they committed to bring that into the public space of your temple. And God, I'm asking today that every single one of us would make commitments that we're going to gather wood in the secret places of our lives. And then we're going to come and we're going to throw them on the bonfire of New Life Midtown. And we're going to just see what happens when the fire of God burns in a church. We're going to see what happens in the children's ministry when, the, when, when, when all of us bring wood. We're going to see what happens to a children, our children in a generation. We're going to bring our wood to the youth. We're going to bring our wood to the young adults and the singles and the college and career. We're going to bring our wood, God, to the gatherings at our homes and our table groups. God, I'm asking today that you would pour out a grace to be wood gatherers, God, our devotion, our little steps of love, 
our little steps of allegiance and affection, God, we bring it to you. And I'm asking for oil and fire, oil and fire on the altar of our lives, God. And I'm asking today for a clean, holy, hot, bright, bold fire in New Life Midtown that touches this city and it touches the nations and it touches generations, God. Lord, I want my great-grandchildren to be touched by the fire of God in this house. And I pray for it today in Jesus' name. Several weeks ago, I had someone come up to me and they said, man, there's just something different on your life. I don't know, what it is it? What's going on with you? And I can't explain it. All I can say is that as I've been thinking about this, I was taken back to a year ago. I started this in my life a year ago of just sitting with God, just sitting. I wasn't trying to race through a Bible program. I wasn't trying to just get in and get out. I just felt like the Lord said, son, will you sit with me? We'd go on vacation. I'd pull up a chair in 100 degree heat and six o'clock in the morning, I'd just sit with God. I go to my back porch and I pull up a chair and I just sit with God. Sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes two hours. The time didn't matter. It was just, son, will you come and just sit with me? Just be with me. By the grace of God, I've been able to say yes more times than not. And I don't know, somewhere, somewhere, God just dropped a match. Somewhere, he just poured oil on a little flicker that was burning but just gathering wood, gathering wood, gathering wood, gathering wood, gathering wood, gathering wood. And I've tasted what passion and holiness and pursuit and hunger, I've tasted what that's like, and I don't want anything else other than that. The life of mediocrity in God is one of the most miserable lives you can ever have. Some of you are miserable. You're just bored out of your mind because you've not gone all in. And I'm just telling you, if you'll say yes to God, he'll give you a grace. He'll give you a grace to say yes again and again and again. He'll give you a grace to make big sacrifices. I turned 45 two weeks ago, and I felt like the Lord knocked me on the door of my heart and said, son, will you give me your 40s? Like, God, I already told you when I was 17, you have the rest of my life. Yeah, I know, but I want your 40s. I want to get specific with you. I don't want your life. I want your 40s. I want 45 through 50. Will you give that to me? And I said, yes, God, I will. And here's what I know. I know God. I know him. He's going to knock me on the door of my heart at 50 and go, son, will you give me your 50s? He will. And then he's going to say, will you give me your 60s? Because the only way that I'm going to be more in love with Jesus when I'm 90 is if I say, God, every decade of my life, it's yours. And some of you right now, you're in your teens. And I made this decision at 16 years old. I've been chasing after God now. Friends, listen, 28 years of my life, and I don't regret one second of it. Some of you are single. And you're so distracted. You're so distracted right now. When's he going to come? When's she going to come? Friends, if you will give him your 20s. And I'm not saying that your spouse won't come in your 20s. I'm just saying if you will say, God, you can have my 20s. If you will consecrate an entire decade of your life. Start with a year. Start with a month. Start with a week. Start somewhere. But if you will consecrate time to God, you will release a jet stream of Holy Ghost momentum in your life. And friends, listen, one day you're going to stand before the face of Jesus and you will never regret making that decision. Commit to the Lord every day. Every day, renew your vows. Rededicate. Rededicate. You blow it, who cares? Wake up the next morning and say, God, I commit again. Just keep doing it. And here's what's going to happen. The flywheel of spiritual momentum is going to take over. And you're going to touch something in God. You're going to touch something in God. And you will never, ever be the same again, friends. I want to invite you to come to this table. I can't think of a better way to seal this moment than with the body and the blood of Jesus. You're all welcome. You're all invited. Exit on the left. Come receive. And we'll take it together.
I felt like the Lord gave me a word as you were coming to the table. Do not compare your passion or your devotion to the Lord with anyone else. Like, don't look at someone else and say, oh, my passion or devotion should look like that. Compare your passion and devotion to the worth and the beauty of Jesus. And here's the thing. You can only have an understanding of the worth and the beauty of Jesus to the degree that he gives you revelation. You can't conjure up your revelation of the worth of Jesus. It's not on you. So here's what you need to do. You need to ask for revelation. Jesus, I need revelation of your worth. Because when you have revelation of the worth and the beauty of Jesus, your passion and your devotion will match your revelation of the worth and the beauty of Jesus. It's a revelation issue. If it's small, if it's bored, if it's weak, you have a low revelation, ask for revelation. And just keep asking and keep asking. Here's, listen, what's going to happen? One of these days, God's going to peel back the blinders from your eyes and you're going to go, my God, you are the treasure in the field. You are the pearl of great price. You're worth selling everything for. You're worth it all. There's nothing that can compare to you. But you, you, you just don't know that until God drops that into the eyes of your spirit. So friends, ask him for revelation of his beauty and his worth. Amen? Amen. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He sat with his closest friends and he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. I've laid down. God himself came to earth as a man and he laid down his rights and his privilege and his power. He laid down his glory and his beauty. He laid it all down for something bigger and better. He laid it down for the glory of God and for the redemption of the entire planet, which includes humanity. And he says, this is my body. I lay it down for you. Let us receive the body of Christ. Oh, revelation come. Revelation come. Right now at your table, Lord, let revelation come. He took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It is a covenant of the forgiveness of sins. You are clean. You are as clean as Jesus. 
You are as clean as Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. All you have to do is say, I receive it. I receive your righteousness. I receive your holiness. I receive your sanctification. I receive the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, let us receive the cup. Thank you, God, for your righteousness. Friends, can we sing a song of thanksgiving today? No? (laughs) All right, you and me, Seth, you and me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Friends, come visit one of our prayer altar ministers up here if you need prayer for anything in your life. I'm going to bless you. If you got kids, like run out of this room and go get them. <laughs> I'm going to lose my job because all of our children's ministers are going to revolt. All right? Go grab your kids. Come back in here and talk as long as you want. All right, let me pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you the work of your spirit in our midst. Thank you for what you're doing at New Life Midtown and all of us who are part of it, both in person and those who are joining online. Lord, it's a clean work. It's a good work. It's a hot work. It's a powerful work, and we say yes to it. We submit. You have our yes today. God, we're just going to find out how far we can go in you. By the grace of God and by the power of your spirit right now, I'm just saying, I'm going to find out how far we as a people can run in you. I'm going to see how many miracles, God, can flow through our hands. I'm going to see, God, just how much revelation you want to pour out. Lord, I want to, just, I want to see how many generations that you want to touch and how many nations you want to bring the gospel to. We're living in darkness, oh God. So I'm praying today, Holy Spirit, come fall afresh on the fire and on the wood of this house. And God, give us an eternal and a holy flame of love, your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.